1: Welcome back, fellow conspiracy realists. We've dug through the vaults and we are declassifying one of our classic episodes The Future of Censorship. What should people be allowed to say online?
3: Who, buddy?
1: Who, doggies?
3: November 2018 feels like another lifetime ago. Doesn't it kind
1: of was. It kind of was. Uh, we were asking the right questions, and um, we hope that you find some of the exploration here, folks, as prescient as we did, for
3: better or worse. Yeah. Who gets to control what you say and think? Is it a group, right? Is it a company? Is it just an individual? Yeah. Yeah. Or somebody commenting, right? Someone in the comment section. Do they control what you get to say or not? It's so weird, man. Let's jump into it.
1: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
3: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
1: They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deckett. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. This is an episode that I was surprised we hadn't done before, I'm
3: going to go ahead and stop you there. We can't uh, continue on that line. Okay, we have to stop going down that line, so let's just move on with something else.
1: Uh, Okay, understood. Uh, well, then let's let's jump to the second point point. get this out of the way first. Very, very, very. I'm
3: sorry. That one is also just, oh, man, we, we can't go mm. there either. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. They're just telling me. I've got them in my ear and they're mm-hmm. telling me we can't.
1: Okay. Well, let me phrase this in a different way. Let's get this out of the way first. Very, very few countries you will visit in the modern day are completely free from censorship.
3: Okay, we'll let that one stand.
1: Okay, all right. Is that vague enough? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's still, no kidding, a vast improvement over the days of past civilizations, though. We talk about censorship or we talk around it so often in our show. Matt, earlier, you and I dove into – a very dark tale of current concentration camps and the the vast amounts of censorship that the Chinese government is applying to the Uyghur communities.
3: Absolutely. We did. Unfortunately, we had to – we talked about that because it's real mm-hmm. and it's something that needs to be ta- uh, shared at least. But in this case, we're just – we're talking about thought control really. That's yeah. what this is, this whole subject.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, this is an episode on thought control. How does it work? What, if anything, can you do to prevent it? And how is it evolving in the modern day? We're talking about censorship. And the first thing that we have to explore when we talk about censorship, this word that we all hear thrown around so often, is how it is defined. Like, what do, what do we mean when we say censorship?
3: Generally, it's the suppression or in many cases the complete prohibition of books, art, films, uh, news, speech itself, works of art that depict certain things. Uh, All of these things that could be considered for one reason or another obscene to a ruling group, Uh, something that's seen as politically unacceptable or in some way a threat to the status quo or like anything basically having to do with the people who are in power.
1: Right, or a threat to security or a threat to social, spiritual, cultural norms. And right now, there are several broad categories of what we call censorship. The first one, historically speaking, is moral censorship. And right now, this is one of the most universally accepted forms of censoring things, especially regarding stuff that most of the world can get on board with, Mm -hmm. like the censorship of certain types of illegal pornography.
3: Absolutely. Or the censorship of things like beheading videos, certain forms of violence depicted – not everyone agrees on that one. Agreed. Not <laughs> which is, everyone agrees. Which is terrible, but true. But it's generally, it's generally something that's done. Uh, there are also types of moral censor- censorship just through social media right now, mm-hmm. just by enough people talking and pointing out things mm-hmm. that would be considered to be uh, morally apprehensive.
1: You're absolutely right. And we went to pornography first because it's a hot button issue and it's banned in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. But imagine that you are, say, traveling to certain Middle Eastern countries and in your possession, you have um, the wrong kind of um, Islamic text or the wrong kind of Judeo-Christian text. And additionally, you have something kind of lewd like a, a Playboy magazine because that's – apparently your reading material when you fly across the ocean, just Playboys and – Religious
3: works. To be fair, it it was a vintage, vintage Playboy magazine mm-hmm. and it had the old article in there as an interview with Michael Jackson. So I thought it was worth it.
1: OK. Yeah. You thought it was worth it to play the dangerous game of passing customs with the help of Michael Jackson. In several of those countries, these works would be confiscated and you may well be detained because the possession or importation of these things is – a violation of the law, and being sovereign countries, they get to decide what breaks the law. This this stuff happens today. It's not just on the internet, and it's been happening for a long time. It goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with its close cousin, religious censorship.
3: Oh, yes, religious censorship. It's really... Speaking of vintage, this is the one that goes all the way back pretty much. <laughs> in this version of censorship, you're looking at pretty much any material, book, speech, otherwise art again, uh, that is questionable or seen as questionable by a religious group. Again, we're, if you go back far enough, the religion – the religious groups are the power, right? That's your government essentially in a lot of places – and in this you're even going to have limitations that are forced on less prevalent religions by the ruling religion in a land let's say a good example as the catholic church which sure. we'll, which we'll see a little further on in this uh in this episode
1: and i wouldn't even say questionable i would say objectionable because this this kind of stuff reaches its heyday in places where there is no dissent or times and places where there's no free speech and as you said, Matt, it's a dominant religion forcing limitations on less prevalent ones. But it could also be a less dominant religion just preventing its adherents from reading anything outside of the community's approved scripts.
3: Sure, like cult-like behavior.
1: Yeah, that happens all the time with cults because they don't want to. They don't want your mind to be polluted by worldly things or words that are not the words of the the great leaders divine um, understanding. Postulations. Postulations. (laughs) Revelations, they would say.
3: Regurgitations?
1: (laughs) Quite so. Some of their opponents would say, you know what, some of the cult leaders would say that too because they're just speaking for the trees or the space gods or whatever. They're a conduit. They're a conduit, yes. They're the conduit. There are two other types of closely related censorship that have... I don't know, maybe some merit. That's the thing. A lot of these have some kind of merit. There's military censorship, which is just keeping – it's OPSEC, you know. Mm -hmm. It's keeping military intelligence and tactics confidential and away from specifically the enemy. This only becomes problematic when the native civilian population is considered the enemy, which happens all the time
3: historically speaking. Absolutely. And then, of course, you've got – cousin to that one. They're all just distant cousins mm-hmm. in a way. Some of them may be a little even closer related. Uh, but the, uh, the act of political censorship. And this is important. Mm-hmm. Again, like military censorship, sometimes governments have to keep things quiet or secret so that A, other countries and leaders don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. which is even closer related to military censorship uh, than I'm letting on. That's like the I don't know the twin brother, twin sister kind of deal, because a lot of times the the politics and the military are that closely related. Um, sorry, I'm going long here, but um, it's also really important for for countries and politicians and governments to keep things from their own people to prevent them from overthrowing the thro- the throne, essentially. right?
1: Yeah, to prevent rebellion, mm-hmm. and that's so similar to uh, religious. Censorship, too, right? The last one, which is the rising star in the world of censorship, is corporate censorship. It is increasingly common in these, our modern days. This is the process through which editors of a corporate media outlet – would intervene. So anything from the New York Times to our very own podcast would intervene to disrupt the publishing of information that makes a business or a business partner or crony look bad and then also suppress any alternative views or in the case of open advertisements, any alternative offers from reaching the public sphere. So just to pick an example out of uh, out of the ether, this would be something where, let's say, NBC doesn't allow eight commercials for ABC shows to be on their networks, but it could also be something like uh, Walmart moves to town and buys up all the newspaper space so that the mom and pop store can't buy a supplement uh, to put in the Sunday paper. That's not very nice. No, but it is censorship and all of these forms of censorship are currently extant. They exist today in the world. Likely some version of this kind of stuff exists in your own country even if maybe like in the case of religious censorship, your own country doesn't condone it. I, I can almost guarantee you that if you have a military, your government may not completely control aspects of it and that need to know basis is its own form of self-enforcing censorship.
3: Absolutely. And even if you believe that you live in a country that doesn't have some kind of censorship over its people, um we we unfortunately have to inform you that you're probably wrong.
1: Right. Oh yeah. Oh my, you're so wrong. Yeah, unfortunately. S- especially
3: here, guys. In uh, the United States.
1: Here in the US where we record this ep- this podcast and this episode of this podcast. And that leads us to ask So how long have these practices been around? This is not stuff that we just figured out as a species. Censorship is ancient. It has followed human civilization throughout history like a sinister shadow, just one step behind, sometimes looming larger than other times, but always at every moment with us. And we'll get to the crazy stuff pretty quickly in this episode. We want to explore where, where censorship came from, the modern word we use today comes from Roman civilization. There was an actual dude, there was an actual person, an actual political position called a censor and they ruled certain areas of Roman policy with absolute power. When we say we mean absolute power, we mean the other leaders could not, could not contest – or not change their findings, and yeah. then when they were done serving their time, a new censor could not change the findings of the previous one.
3: At all? No. Oh, my gosh. It's just your word is law, and that's all there is to it. This is now what civilization can and can't do.
1: In these certain aspects of uh, of the law, the censor was responsible for maintaining the census, not a big surprise there, uh, <laughs> supervising Public morality, and then overseeing some aspects of government finance. So the most important part for our purposes today is their charge to supervise public morality. This was something called the Regimen Morum, and it's key here because the censors at first would punish or shame people as individuals, both for activities in their private lives. That could be anything very serious from being, quote, overly cruel to slaves or, quote, acting in theaters. You could get in trouble for that, was seen as dishonorable.
3: Acting in a theater?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And spoke poorly to your character. Uh, You could also get people in trouble for their public behaviors, perjury, taking a bribe, or keeping a good horse in, in bad condition, not taking good care of your horse.
3: OK, I can see why those would be looked down upon, mm-hmm. perhaps, or at least frowned upon, all, all of those, actually, especially the theater's one. Um, <laughs> and here's the other thing. The consequences from being censored can include anything from being expelled from the Senate if you were serving in the Senate at the time. Or you could even be expelled from the tribe, your tribe, mm-hmm. which would be a major blow uh, to you and your family social
1: excommunication, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, of course, this could lead to death. Um, Everybody dies, or most people do. It's just the timing would probably not be to your liking.
3: Yeah, it is crazy to think that you could be censored to death.
1: Yeah, and (laughs) from this original duty, this one aspect of this Uh, one to two person job, the regimen morum grew to include the scrutiny of public speeches and performances and then written work and censorship was not seen as a bad authoritarian or heavy handed thing. It was seen as a benevolent, just, necessary, even noble way to maintain social
3: order. I think we gotta just talk about this for a second because I think it's a difficult stance but it has to be taken that it's something that you said at the top, Ben, that this type of censorship, once we get to this place where it's looking at everything, mm-hmm. um, is kind of necessary to get enough people on the same page to build an empire or build a massive civilization, especially on the scale of the Roman Empire at the time.
1: Sure, but does necessary make it good?
3: Absolutely not. <laughs> right. Absolutely not. But, but in a way, I guess in a way it is good in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's it's good for both the status quo of the people who are trying to create this new order or whatever it's going to be, as well as for the citizens to some extent, because it sounds like they are, or the attempt here is to alter people's behavior to be more in line with suiting a larger civilization.
1: Right, and at the time, you know, these civilizations were attempting to expand and enforce uh, systematic inequality.
3: Yes, by by engulfing other civilizations, smaller Mm -hmm. civilizations.
1: Right, right, and this um, one practice of a lot of ancient civilizations was a very effective form of
3: censorship restricting
1: literacy to certain social classes.
3: Yeah, if you cannot write or read then how are you going to change anything?
1: Right. The most famous case of censorship in ancient Rome dates back to Socrates. He was sentenced to death, and they told him to ingest poison in 399 BCE. What was his crime, though?
3: Corruption of youth and the acknowledgement of unorthodox divinities. All right.
1: Wrong parties, wrong gods. That's what that sounds like. Maybe causing the children of well-to-do members of society to ask too many tough questions.
3: I think that's exactly what his issue was. We literally call it the Socratic method. Yeah. (laughs) By listening to someone's argument, taking Mm -hmm. parts of what they say into your argument, and then coming up with a a consensus. Interesting.
1: Interestingly enough, yes, I like you (laughs) brought that around. Interestingly enough, in uh, The Republic, Socrates' student, Plato argues for censorship.
3: Yeah. Well, in Plato and a few other of his contemporaries are the only ways we actually know anything about Socrates. That's true. Because his life actually wasn't written down a whole bunch by him, at least. Mm -hmm. Not a lot was recorded by him in the moment. So did he exist? (laughs) Story for
1: another day. But it is safe to assume... If we first assume he was real, it's also safe to assume he was not the first person to be punished in this way. And boy, oh boy, speaking of setting a precedent, the Romans sure did. We'll see how this plays out in their descendant civilizations shortly after this. We should also mention censorship was common in ancient China. It's very old. In 221 BCE, uh, an entire library was burned down in the kingdom And their first official law regarding censorship, surprise, they were for it, was introduced in 300 CE. But we mentioned Europe, right? So let's just go right there. Europe has a ton of civilizations descended in some way from Roman culture. And this means it also has a long, laughable, tragic history with censorship.
3: Yeah, and first to get hit here is free speech. This is an idea that we hear a lot nowadays. It implies the – just the free expression of thoughts. That's all it means really. But this was a challenge to the pre-Christian rulers at the time. And, uh, you know, it's it's a funny thing to have free thought and then to express those thoughts to other people and then have a group of like-minded people all having free thoughts that don't exactly go along with the church uh that's that's very troublesome, at least to the guardians of at the time christianity um but it's it's you know it becomes much more troublesome when the church itself organizes to a point where there's an official orthodox this is what is the church, and nothing else and there's dogma as well exactly, yep.
1: yeah, you're right, Matt, and as more books were written and copied and even more widely disseminated. The ideas that were perceived as subversive and heretical were spread beyond the control of rulers. It didn't matter now if you killed one heretic. If they had written a pamphlet or a book and someone else had copied it, then that person's ideas lived on and they spread or metastasized, as their opponents would probably perceive it, across the land. So, and,
3: but it's important because at this time when you say copied, mm-hmm. you mean actually written down, like gotten a blank paper or a blank mm-hmm. parchment and written down exactly what was written on the other one.
1: Right, and this this was an advantage over something like a subversive oral tradition in mm-hmm. terms of storytelling or songs, because if you kill everyone who knows the song, it's fine. It won't get out, but you have to – books don't die as easily as people. You have to burn them. You have to –
3: You have to find them.
1: Right. A book can even – even if it won't be in great condition in the right environment, a book can just sit somewhere for decades and decades. It needs no food. It needs no um, cycle of sleep and
3: wake. It's just there for someone to pick it up. You can't coerce the book to not say its story anymore.
1: Right. You have to destroy or mutilate it. And as a consequence of this, censorship became increasingly rigid, punishments became increasingly severe, and then, of course, one of the last things that the establishment probably wanted to happen happened, and the printing press was invented in Europe in the mid-15th century, and this increased the need for censorship – Printing did help. You know what? Maybe I'm being unfair because printing did help the Catholic mission at the time to spread um, what it saw as a divine revelation. You can print Bibles now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also aided the Protestant Reformation and people like Martin Luther who were considered heretics. So the printed book became this huge religious battleground and it began a war that was also fought – Through the medium of books, they started making books that would communicate censorship.
3: Oh, yeah. Like a book of prohibited books Mm -hmm. or at least a very long list of prohibited books. There was a pope, a gentleman named Paul IV, who ordered the first index of capital P prohibited books in 1559. And then that – an index, like an updated index, was issued again 20 times by different – Uh, different popes who succeeded. And then finally, from 1559 all the way until 1948, the final prohibited books uh, list was issued. 1948. That's not that long ago.
1: But they kept that thing in practice. It was still on the books, for lack of a better phrase, until 1966 when it was finally abolished.
3: Yeah. So – That's a long time of prohibiting reading. And –
1: the Catholic Church was the first and final judge of which books emerged on this list, right? Mm-hmm. And books didn't usually get pulled off or forgiven. Mm-hmm. And the Inquisition helped enforce this ideology by banning and burning books when they were discovered and in some cases burning the authors along with their books. The most famous author that the Catholic Church banned is, of course, Galileo. That was in 1633.
3: Because he was heretically letting people know about, you know, the solar system and the stars. He was going against their god. Yeah, exactly.
1: So the most famous victim of the Inquisition would be Joan of Arc probably and maybe Thomas More. Additionally, the Catholic Church controlled all the universities and all the publications that those universities made. In 1543, they said, okay, that's it. No book can be printed or sold unless we say it's all right, unless we sign off on it. Wow. And and then a little bit later, a guy in France doubled down on that.
3: Oh yeah, he, the uh, what is he? He's the king of France, Charles the Ninth. He declared that nothing could be printed without the special permission of the king. And then you know, when one ruler does that, several others their ears perk up and they go, "Hey, that sounds like a really good idea." So other rule rulers in Europe were also banning books that were not approved by them
1: as soon as they heard about it. Yes, immediately post haste. This practice was pretty effective, tremendously effective because also when we consider what it took to operate a printing press, we're, yeah. we're looking at the possession of a lot of capital that the average European simply would not
3: have. You'd have to be a powerful enemy to be going against that list in distributing works at least to an, to an effective amount.
1: Yeah. In a world where a lot of people can't afford to eat meat – much less stop the constant grind for survival to learn that there could be at least a different form of governance.
3: And that constant grind of moving this machine forward of civilization does at times require people to live below a poverty line, wherever that may lie, just to be workers, to be cogs in that giant machine.
1: I would – yeah, I would say um, most government systems require the entire – the largest amount of the population – to
3: be around that, yeah, to you know. just be functional machines, essentially,
1: at least of the time. Right. Mm. So this this stuff is working so well. This strategy is working so well that it becomes a crucial part in the grand European scheme uh, to conquer what they called the New World. Catholic countries worked hand-in-hand with the religious authorities. Philip uh, II of Spain reinstated the Inquisition in 1569 and then franchised it out and made a Peruvian Inquisition in 1570. The next year, just to monitor and censor unwelcome beliefs from the people who actually lived on this continent before the Europeans got there and the dissidents who were trying to escape. The Peruvian Inquisition system, Really, a lot of it focused on controlling the import of books. So they would examine ships and luggage and port. They would look through libraries and bookstores and printing houses. And it was oppressive and sinister. Um, It extended to colonies in the Americas as well. But it still paled in comparison to another act of – cultural genocide censorship on a massive scale in the case of the Spanish invaders destroying the literature of the Maya people they literally erased history
3: yeah it's gone uh, this is what you would call cultural genocide right a
1: lot I, a lot of it was yeah a lot of it was lost sort of like the library of alexandria
3: no I, I just had to say yeah. this is one of the reasons the mayan civilization is so fascinating Mm-hmm. in in a lot of places within this mysterious universe conspiratorial world mm-hmm. I believe the the mind civilization so interesting because so much of it the actual explanations of what things are it's been lost to history
1: right like i I knew about the Popo vu, the cultural story that talks about the mythology and history of the K'iche' people, but there was a lot of stuff that i I thought I would have encountered before that I only learned through oral tradition, like the um, The story of how the religious syncretism occurs. Mm. Uh, but, but be that as it may, it is true that for lack of a better word, they did erase history. And it sounds like we're paying the Spanish Empire as just a, a load of real pills. But Britain, France, and Germany weren't exactly progressive either. The Postal Service was invented in France in 1464 and it just like overnight became this tool of state-sponsored, religiously supported censorship. And then this meant that by the 18th century, the press in the majority of Europe was subject to censorship in the 19th century – things looked like they might have changed or began to change. There was an independent press that
3: started to emerge. Yeah, separating itself from the powers that be.
1: And people were with more and more passion and articulation, demanding a free press, meaning one that is not governed by the state or the church. But this was not a global change. Japan had incredibly strict press laws at the time. And then if we keep going, of course, the Nazis. Uh, The Nazis were big fans of books. Uh, They found them very flammable. They thought that was neat. Uh, In the modern age, the USSR and the Eastern Bloc ran one of the world's most expansive, successful, and contiguous censorship programs in the 20th century. It started in what? October 1917?
3: Yeah, yeah. It lasted until the 1980s.
1: Yeah, and it's mind-boggling if you think about that. A lot of us listening to the show today were alive when people were getting arrested in the USSR, in the Eastern Bloc, for various things that may seem kind of silly in the the modern day. And speaking of modern day, today we live in a world of endless, cheaply transmitted information. What does that mean? It means that it is possible now for anyone with a phone and a good internet connection, almost regardless of their language, to download in a relatively short period of time more written work than our ancestors would have seen in their entire lives. You can right now, for example, download the entirety of Wikipedia, not just look at it. You can have it all on your phone, and you will not need an internet connection to read it. That's amazing. And so that means that in the wake of this massive technological breakthrough, censorship might be losing its importance or maybe its influence, right? There's not a church in charge that can shut everything down.
3: Yeah, you're right. Censorship is gone. Doesn't exist anymore. We're we're done here. Thanks for this uh, taking this journey into history about censorship with us. Oh wait, nope, nope. That's that's very very wrong. Couldn't be wronger. (laughs) Uh, And we'll uh, tell you why after a quick word from our sponsor.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development
1: Here's where it gets crazy. While futurists of yesteryear often argue that limitless access to information could result in a more transparent and well-informed society, we're seeing that this is not the case, at least not yet. In many parts of the world, in fact, censorship is becoming much more common rather than less common. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the 10 most heavily censored countries nowadays are Eritrea, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, Azerbaijan, Vietnam, Iran, China, Myanmar, and Cuba. Those are just the the top 10 worst offenders. Mm -hmm. Some of that is probably going to change, at least in the case of Cuba, but that doesn't mean the things that aren't in the top 10 are – super great belarus is positively dangerous yikes but what what do we mean when they say heavily censored
3: this is just where the laws are extremely extremely strict and you there are there are punishments such as harassment and imprisonment and sometimes even worse for people who go against these laws
1: right right like the very recent incident in which saudi arabia abducted, tortured, and murdered a U.S. resident and Washington Post journalist named Salah Khashoggi. It was extrajudicial killing. They're obviously not going to get in a lot of serious trouble from it
3: from the U.S. The craziest thing is it was almost covered up and then it wasn't. And I don't know what type of punishment could actually be, you know laid out for the people who are responsible for it.
1: The U.S. government would have to impose consequences for that action.
3: Yeah, but is uh, that going to happen? Probably not.
1: An embassy is technically the, I think, the soil on which, like the the soil of the country there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it really goes down to, how and if the us is a country that protects its residents and citizens that's really what it
3: goes down to yeah and yet it is so much more complicated <laughs>
1: and yes it's its own episode right uh, but just so just so you know the way he died uh, the official explanation from the Saudi Arabian government was that it didn't happen and then it did and then it did happen. But there was a fist fight and he was – that the guy started and that he was killed in this fist fight. Uh, the evidence that Turkish intelligence is providing has uh, – there's – I believe they have audio evidence and uh, forensic evidence that he was sawed in half or like – piece. he was he was dismembered while alive, jeez, which is not a fist fight. But we'll see what the we'll see what story everybody agrees on pretty soon. Right now, everybody, except for Saudi Arabia pretty much agrees with the with the abduction, torture, murder narrative, especially because uh, there was an alleged body double that was sent out later. The story is ongoing. I think the the official posi- position of the uh, U.S. executive branch is that this is "quote unquote" under investigation. The official position of the, well, the rumored position, the anonymously quoted position of the U.S. military and intelligence agencies is that yes, it is true. The guy was tortured died being sawed to death and then his body was transported in pieces and hidden. but officially according to the executive branch, it's still under investigation anyway it's happening he uh. was he was uh, he was murdered by the Saudi Arabian government or by facets of it because he was a journalist and they didn't like what he was reporting
3: yeah and it's it's becoming more and more dangerous mm-hmm. it, it's again it seems like it shouldn't be this way in this modern era with this technology, but it is becoming more and more dangerous for reporters to go out, especially to uh, to practice investigative journalism. Right, right. And you and I found this fantastic piece from a guy
1: named George Packer writing for The New Yorker. He said that censorship and danger to reporters is actually – these events are growing more frequent
3: and they're growing more dangerous. Uh, we've, we pulled a really cool quote from here, I think. In recent years, reporting the news has become an ever more dangerous activity. Between 2002 and 2012, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, 506 journalists were killed worldwide, as opposed to 390 in the previous decade.
1: Which is insane. And uh, Guy, we mentioned the Committee to Protect Journalists. Right. Uh, The executive director of that outfit is a guy named Joel Simon, author of a book called The New Censorship Inside the Global Battle for Media Freedom. And he said the trend nowadays is toward more secrecy, more censorship and harsher laws rather than uh, less secrecy, less censorship and less, um, what would you say, punitive laws? Yeah, yeah.
3: We have another quote from him. Deluged with data, we are blind to the larger reality." Around the world, new systems of control are taking hold. They are stifling the global conversation and impeding the development of policies and solutions based on an informed understanding of the local realities. Repression and violence against journalists is at record levels and press freedom is in decline. Yikes.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. So there may be a lot of people, a lot of us listening now who think, well, you know, I don't really have anything to hide. I don't have anything super controversial to say. Uh, And most importantly, I'm not an investigative journalist, so I don't have the same concerns. We'll tell you why this matters, but first we want to tell you the – Four reasons that he believes there's this rise in this new violent era of censorship or I should say historically this return to this violent era of censorship. The first is that there's the rise of leaders like – he cites in his work Vladimir Putin in Russia, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey – Presidents in Venezuela, Ecuador, and Bolivia who use their power to intimidate journalists and make it nearly impossible for them to function. He says they're elected but they're acting as dictators, which is why he prefers the term democratators, democratators, democratators. Ooh but To me, that just sounds like a potato that I voted
3: for. That's exactly what it is.
1: <laughs> Would you eat <laughs> is it the new Freedom Fry? Democratators.
3: <laughs> you know, I just started Fallout 4, and mm-hmm. they call potatoes taters in there. Or tate- I think they call them taters, yeah. Anyway. Oh, and by the way, uh, yes. Yes, I did say Fallout 4, not the new Fallout that just came out because mm-hmm. I'm always one, one iteration behind whatever the popular thing is.
1: I feel you, man. I'm okay with that. I'm similar.
3: <laughs> it was 10 bucks, so. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so the second source of censorship, at least according to Simon, is the big T, terrorism. And he cites the beheading of Daniel Pearl and Karachi uh, as being basically the beginning of a trend of turning journalists into very specific high-value targets for terrorists uh, or for people who – practice terrorism i guess i don't know how to say that correctly but um also if you go you just look at the iraq war it's the deadliest in history for journalists uh there are a lot of people on the ground trying to cover the war in very dangerous places and you know we hear a lot about the highly targeted droning systems Mm -hmm. the other you know uh, the dropping of bombs is much more targeted now well The Iraq War is the deadliest in history. 150 killed journalists. 85% of them were Iraqi journalists um, and most of whom were murdered, like murdered, Mm -hmm. not just they accidentally got killed.
1: And their captures were performative. Their captures and executions were performative. It became a disturbingly normal part of the media landscape.
3: Yeah, similar to the Daniel Pearl Mm -hmm. event.
1: And then Simon goes on to note that he says that he believes the third reason is the death of foreign news desks. So back in in the days, in the golden days of journalism, every large paper of note would have something that they would call foreign news desk. People who had the protection of a larger international news organization and often the Implied protection or tacit protection of their home country would set up an office wherein they reported on regional news in a foreign country. The problem is that with so much of independent journalism going down the tank in the past few years – These places have closed, and the only way to get news out falls to local reporters doing their best, often with no help or protection from a foreign government. Actually, the only government around, their own, often will want them dead. In countries like Mexico, the Philippines, Pakistan, local journalists are the target of brutal campaigns of intimidation and murder by secret service agents, armed groups. This could be just extremist religious or separatist groups. Cartels. Cartels. That's another one. And, you know, some of these local journalists, it's not like they went to school and dedicated their lives to be journalists. They might just be on Twitter trying to survive because their families are being blackbagged or disappeared, you know?
3: yeah.
1: And the final reason, one of the weirdest ones, is the invisible global hand of digital surveillance. Various countries have gotten closer and closer to perfecting its use but they're everyone's getting better all the time and it's not just the boogeyman you hear about in so much western media it's not just china it's not just iran it's also the u.s it's also it's also the eu it's israel it's japan it's anyone who can afford it you know yeah
3: Well, and it's crazy too because not only do we have in this country things like the NSA. That they're looking at everything or at least they're tracking everything, Mm -hmm. keeping notes about it. There is also this this very real thing called the search bubble and it's also a news bubble. And it's just the thing in which – the place in which we all find ourselves where we are almost censoring ourselves.
1: And where does this lead us? We've looked at the – origins of censorship we've seen some of the modern trends now let's ask ourselves about the future after a word from our sponsor
0: are you ready to fight back against crime hi guys Nancy Grace here host of podcast crime stories with Nancy Grace I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims for a decade I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
2: or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
1: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe All right, so the badger is out of the bag on this one. Humanity's constant sinister shadow of secrecy and censorship is not going away. It is, and I want you to hear the italics here, evolving. We talk about the progression of technology all the time, right? Now you can tell somebody across the world what's happening to you relatively in real time as long as everything works and all the pistons are are firing in sequence, all them satellites, all them satellites, all the uh, the internet tubes are not plugged up. yeah the problem is that this technology that allows us to communicate is often created or influenced by the same people who create technology to monitor this sort of stuff censorship technology and it only spreads the fuel of these practices. New tech is giving governments the ability to more selectively censor online materials. This is the stuff they don't want you to know about this. This is where it gets spooky because we see several factors converging to make a perfect storm. The private tech sector is merging. It's increasingly monopolistic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The giants of the tech industry, Google, its owner, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, so on, mean that there are fewer hubs of information transmission. Essentially, this means there's a smaller group of people at the wheel. And this is um, what Lebowski would call not cool man.
3: Yeah, it's
1: problematic. Yeah, because it means they're a private company. A private company does not have a ton of laws telling it what it can or cannot show you. What it can or cannot prevent you from seeing, or what it can and cannot do to influence how you how you interact online. Older media companies—it's no secret, if you're a longtime listener of the show—that older media companies like newspapers, mainstream television have often worked in secret with intelligence agencies to censor some stories or completely ignore them. Especially or, in wartime. Especially in wartime, yeah, uh, or in times of great public crisis, like mm-hmm. the JFK assassination. Or they've been handed talking points and told to just sort of riff on those. Yeah. But new media agencies seem much more comfortable with pursuing their own enigmatic goals.
3: Yeah, I mean, l- let's look. At, uh, let's look at him, just because we kind of have to for this. All right, but no shirtless pictures, <laughs> old AJ Alex Jones. He's been he's been making the airwaves again, even since he's not been on them so much. Um, you don't, you don't have to agree with this guy at all. You don't have to even like him at all. You don't have to be a fan in any way. But you look at the fall of Alex Jones as an example of this. There were some private industry companies who just decided, not necessarily out of the blue. Let, let's say there were, there were circumstances that were building and building. Right. But either way, a couple of these private industries decided that he can't play – on, on In their sandbox. They yeah. can't play on their platforms anymore. He's done. And all of a sudden, he was finished or is mostly finished.
1: And that's totally within their right. They are a private company. They built the sandbox. Uh, he – they had valid reasons mm-hmm. for – in their, in their opinion for shutting down his access to his audience. But it worked. And it's not like there was a trial. There was maybe a trial of public opinion, you could call it. Sure. But it's not like he went to Twitter court. Dum-dum. Yeah. But take the financial motivation these companies have to make you a paying participant, for instance. Paying is in giving them cash in addition to your personal data, which they're already using. You know, if you have a small business or you have um, news that pertains to something Facebook doesn't want people to see – for instance you have to you would have to make it a sponsored post right yeah. you have to be incentivized it's a pay to play environment and for their part that works because they're not a news agency they're not ethically charged to correctly report things and additionally this is one of the more frightening parts censorship is becoming increasingly invisible forget All those old uh, printed out paper documents and facsimile copies with the black and white text and the black sharpie marker, uh, redacting paragraphs and paragraphs. Nowadays, you might just not see a banned web page. Or you might just go to your Kindle one day and a book has vanished. Or you might find that like the Maya codices, certain parts of digital history are being
3: erased under your nose. Wikipedia is completely different on this page today for some reason. I don't remember what was taken out, but I'm not sure. It just looks different. And there's nothing showing up on the history.
1: Oh, yeah. There are information wars going on on Wikipedia. If you ever have the time, go to some topic you think might be controversial. Yeah. And instead of reading the article, click on the talk tab. Yeah. And you will see these long Bitter things, oftentimes by, especially in geopolitical things, oftentimes by front groups posing as individuals, which is insane. No, I know. Just the Middle East alone.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's but crazy.
1: In some countries, people only learned that their social media activity was monitored when they were detained or arrested for a political comment or a snarky joke. And we found a uh, we found a fascinating map that I'd like to maybe share on our website or oh, on our Facebook page. Here's yes. where it gets crazy. Did you see <laughs> that thing?
3: Yeah, so make sure you're on Facebook and <laughs> uh, check it out.
1: Yep. A little bit of double think there. So these factors that we just named, increasing government surveillance and then uh, increasing inequality of power, distribution of power in the private sector – coalesce to create something that might have sounded insane just a few years ago. Imagine not a world wide web, but a splintered internet, world – partially worldwide webs, three of them. They're divided into three spheres, the US, China, and the European Union.
3: Yeah, and if you look at each of these individually, you would note probably at least that the US has – they're they're the big player here. They have the big guns because they arguably and did invent the internet with mm-hmm. ARPANET. Mm-hmm. Uh that we've discussed not that long ago. And a large percent of the private companies that actually control large swaths of the internet, how to access the internet, uh, how information is shared to other human beings, we we control that here or at least individuals and private companies do. And at least for now, that's how it's that's how things stand. But Things are changing pretty rapidly in the world when it it, uh, comes to the powers of the internet. And here's the thing. In this country, I I don't think you can have a blanket statement as in these companies are compliant with old Uncle Sam when he rolls through and has requests. But we have seen numerous within the hundreds of cases where there have been companies who have been compliant with uh, the government coming through and asking for information. It doesn't mean they're giving – these companies would give all of the information Mm -hmm. but perhaps parts of uh, a user or certain posts or things to that nature.
1: Yeah, and in the US at least and arguably in the world, the great balance between state and corporate powers swinging in favor of the corporation over time, over time.
3: And I am convinced this is true. You can call it my opinion, but I am convinced it's true. We've talked about this before. You, you've you predicted that there will be a corporation running for the presidency within our lifetime.
1: Maybe not the presidency of this country.
3: Okay, but of a, a country.
1: Yeah, sure. And then I'm sure there will be people who are – I'm sure some of us listening now are thinking, well, aren't presidents kind of already – at least as sponsored as NASCAR drivers? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't they have to wear patches? At least the NASCAR guys are you know, pretty open
3: about it. Robin Williams, man.
1: Robin Williams?
3: Last time I saw him on tour, I think it was the self Weapons of Self-Destruction. Mm-hmm. I think he had an awesome bit on that. It's like beautiful like imagery of just that. Oh, all right. But I think he stole it from somebody else because uh, oh, no. he did that a lot, unfortunately. Oh, uh, yeah, he
1: did. I remember when we were talking about that off air. But maybe he didn't do it on purpose. Exactly. You
3: got to give benefit of the doubt. But that that image mm-hmm. I think is unfortunately salient. It's yeah. real. It's just sure. like the, the jackets with all the sponsors.
1: We have campaign systems set up to reinforce that, at least again in the U.S. But – Maybe it's different in foreign governments. In 2010, Google shut down its operations in China after they learned that the Chinese government had been hacking Gmail accounts of dissidents, surveilling them through the search engines to uh, find what they liked and censor that if it's a communication hub or to, you know, I guess the euphemism would be permanently censor the dissidents. So they shut down in 2010. Later this year... We, the American public, learned that Google had been working on a new search engine for China. It's called Dragonfly. It's not called Chrome. The reason it's different from Dragonfly is that it incorporates all these surveillance desires of the Chinese government. And Google's internal documents don't support what they say publicly about it, which is a shame.
3: And there's been outcry. Yeah. There's been a lot of protesting by Mm -hmm. employees at Google lately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're smart kids. They know what's up. Mm -hmm. And this means what we're looking at as all these factors converge is a new censorship war on the horizon, a new evolution in the paradigm of forced silence. And while it may start in a corporate boardroom or in a D.C. lobbyist lunch meeting, it will expand to reach you. It will expand to reach your television, your news, your laptop, your tablet, and your phone. This means that unless you go completely off the grid, you are going to be affected. It is not not—it's not a drill. It's not a hypothetical thing. It is already happening. It is happening to you. In fact, you may be interested to know exactly how this continues. So this will so so there you have it.
3: Wow, I think we have to end the show here. Uh, let's at least um, let's at least talk about some questions that we have. Oh, by the way, before we even get to questions, they killed Socrates. Yeah, for censorship. Yeah. They killed Socrates. yeah, Socrates. That's a callback to uh, Steve Martin, one of my favorite comedians. <laughs> I'm just doing that today. I don't know why. Uh, because this censorship has been so important. I'm just going to go on a mini soapbox here. Mm-hmm. Censorship has had such an effect on, on free thought. And that's really what it's about. It's about other people wanting you to think a certain way and not have other uh, thought viruses enter your mind. Thank you, Grant Morrison. And <laughs> it's it's – it's terrifying to think that there are powerful forces active at this very moment that want to control your thoughts. That freaks me out. And they've been these same, uh, not the same people, but these same, um, mechanisms have been attempting to control human thought for, for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And we have to fight against it. I think, right. I think, I think we do. And the way you fight against it is just talk, have an open mind, have free thoughts and uh, talk to your fellow human beings around us, and dogs and cats and other other animals that are uh, willing to listen. <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: <laughs> but that that goes to the question then too. What what is the line? What should or should not be censored? Right?
3: Ah, see, then you're getting into some of that morality stuff.
1: We're getting into morality stuff. We're also asking ourselves what things are age appropriate yeah. for people, right? Uh, what things are necessary for a country to function. Yeah. You know? Um,
3: I mean, that's the toughest part about this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Got to have free thought, but you got to have humans that if they're not that nice or they're not even, let's say, I don't want to say that smart, but mm-hmm. if you got to be able to have some kind of control mechanisms for just societal norms. Or do you?
1: And that's where we will leave it today. This is not the end of the episode. This is the part where we leave the podcast studio and wait to hear from you. We want to hear your responses.
3: You are the ultimate arbiters of where this goes. So find us on Facebook. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
0: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies.
3: Binge the season of the Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.